Welcome to Manager Tools. Our guidance on having one-on-ones after conflict with your directs. Here we go. This guidance answers the questions, how do I handle my one-on-one with a direct after we've had a conflict? How should I respond to a direct who attempts to cancel a one-on-one after some conflict? And how can I repair the damage that conflict does to my relationships with my directs? If you enjoy our guidance about the management trinity, getting to know your people, talking about performance, asking for more, pushing work down, and our tools are helpful, one-on-ones, feedback, coaching, and delegation, the ideal way to learn about implementing them is to come to one of our effective manager conferences. One day, we cover all of the major topics. You practice feedback. You practice coaching. You practice delegation. I can't tell you the number of times people have said to us, wow, I thought I understood the tools. And then when I had to practice, I realized I've taken it to another level. Come to the website. Check out our conference schedule. See us all over the U.S. and in Europe and in Asia and in Australia. See you there. Okay, Sarah, it's going to happen. You know, people are going to get into conflict. Managers and directors are going to get into conflict uh, with each other. Um, My dad used to say the definition of conflict is two human beings in the same county. So therefore, in a normal workspace, you're going to have some conflict. And people ask us all the time, what do I do? How do I handle it? How do you behave? Uh, And the key is, no matter how much conflict you have, you have to be willing to continue to work on the relationship. Unless you don't want a relationship anymore because you've got to get rid of somebody. Here's our outline. We've got four key points. Don't cancel your one-on-one after a conflict. Folks, it sends the wrong signal. Don't allow a direct to cancel a one-on-one either, which should be easy to remember. We recommend forgiveness, but not forgetting. And if you need to address the conflict, address it during your time of the one-on-one if it's necessary. So, Mark, tell me, after conflict, conflicts are awkward, we all want to avoid them, right? Maybe if we don't talk about anything, it'll just like slide into the background. Sarah, I'm sorry, you're, you're a high D. You cannot say we all want to avoid conflicts. <laughs> okay, well. Yeah. We, we all want to avoid conflicts with our boss, right? With our boss, yes, absolutely. I'll tell you, the way I think about this is we get into conflict we have a disagreement. Maybe maybe somebody yells at somebody. Maybe there was a big miss or whatever. And you you begin to draw away from the relationship. The problem is, it's like marriage. You're going to be in that relationship for a while. You have to have self-management skills, self-healing skills. And so when it comes to one-on-ones, which are such a key part of relationships, one-on-ones are not the only part of the relationship. But in terms of manager and direct, they are a visible sign of the relationship, whatever you do, however you handle the problem, whatever steps you take to address performance or disagreements or whatever, don't kill the symbol of your relationship with your directs. Don't cancel the one-on-one. If you cancel a one-on-one after a blow-up or an argument or significant failure on either person's part, you let your direct down, your direct doesn't do what they're supposed to do, Uh, they embarrass you or your team or something, you're essentially equating performance with trust, meaning if you don't perform well, I won't trust you. And trust, which is about the relationship and also about the belief that the other person will do what they're supposed to do, trust and performance are two different things. I can build a strongly trusting relationship 
with a directive mind who is a much lower performer. The way we think about it is performance happens, but the trust in the relationship is something we work on and it's like a bank account. It's not spending money. It's like a bank account and it goes up and down slowly over time. So basically, if you cancel your one-on-one, you're saying, I'm going to treat you differently. And by the way, I'm going to treat you differently about routine processes and procedures. I'm going to treat you differently based on how I'm feeling or how well you treat me or how well you do your job. So what you're saying then is that we're treating everybody the same. No, no. See, so this is, this is really good. Fairness is something that is way overrated when it comes to management. Look, fairness is a great concept. It's a fundamentally important part of life. Well, I don't mean that completely because life sure isn't fair. But it's an important consideration when you're thinking about interacting with people and so on. But management's not about fairness. What happens, I believe... um, I've been saying this for years. Fairness is used or the outcome of fairness is, well, if you're going to be fair, fair applies to games and rules. We, if there's a game, we, we want the game to be fair. We want there to be equal opportunity, that we want equality on both sides of the ball, if you will, and so on. But everybody knows life itself is not fair. Life's rules are unknown at some times or incorrectly or unequally applied. So if we say fairness, what people mistakenly derive from that is I must treat everyone equally, which when you think about it, a referee in a game where there are rules that should be fair should mean both teams have an equal chance of winning, um, assuming they're equally matched. And so, therefore, if a referee sees a mistake on one side of the ball, he or she will call it and would see do the exact same thing on the other side of the ball. But management is not about being fair to people. Certainly, we're going to be kind. We're going to be respectful. We're going to be professional with everyone. But management is about getting the most out of each person. If you treat everyone the same, you will only get the most out of people to whom your style of management works. You know, some people need a hug. Uh, Some people need flattery. I don't. I need you to tell me what you want done and when you want it done. And I want you to let me alone to go do it. If you tried to manage Judy, who's the sweetest person in the world, my executive assistant, and I the same way, we both do poorly. So fairness is not good. We don't treat everybody equally or fairly. We actually give more time and more resources to our top performers. But look, if I'm going to change, I mean, Sarah, you report to me, so we can use that as an example here. Um, If we have a dust up and I cancel a one-on-one because I feel like, well, I'm angry at her or she should know better. No, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of subtly punish her by saying, no, you don't get to have your one-on-one. Again, I'm essentially talking about a way that we work and I'm somehow able to take it away from you when the reason we agreed to do that was to improve performance. Now, if we've had a dust up, a disagreement, something like that, performance needs to be improved. The idea that I would take away a tool that I have is, is ludicrous. So, The idea that you would change a one-on-one isn't a sustainable position because 
If you do that now, the nature of your commitment to your professional relationship, in our case, mine to you and vice versa, is subject to the winds, the emotions, all sorts of influences that are outside of our control. That's not effective. I then couldn't fault you for saying to me, I don't want to do this meeting today because of election results. Well, what? No, we're professionals here. We're not in the election business. Why Why are your feelings about a Canadian election or an American election or anywhere else? In what way should I assume that that should be a reasonable point of discussion for us? And like it or not, and there are some people who won't like this, the organization does not concern itself with how you feel. The management literature in the last 20 years has gotten much more interested in feelings But the organization itself, the machine that produces value for society, doesn't care how you feel. In fact, most effective executives, senior executives, they will say, of course, I care about you. But part of being a professional is deciding what is the right thing to do and doing it regardless of how you feel. So if you were to say, well, I don't want to do that because this is how I feel or I had a bad weekend or everything else, you're basically saying, oh, I'm not a professional. And any old time, however I feel, we can then put our business results or the processes we consider to be necessary or valuable or effective for business results, we can put them on hold because of how you feel. I mean, I, I think I said, I've said it before. Um, part of being a professional is doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it, whether you want to or not, without debate. You know what, dude? I don't know if you've ever heard me say it at a conference. Kate makes fun of me when I say it. <laughs> My words are, again, I'm a D. I always say at a conference, you know what? If you don't want your feelings hurt, you should have left them under the bed where I left mine when I left the house this morning. <laughs> now, I do that for a point. but This is funny because, of course, you and I both present. We have different ways of presenting and connecting the audience. Audiences love you. They fear me. Um, many respect me, but I don't have the kind of exchanges with audiences that you do. It's one of the things that makes you good. But I can tell you, if I said that in front of an audience, particularly if I did it with a bit of an edge, I would have half the audience basically check out and go, who does this guy think he is? But now what's funny is in my head, I'm defending it because that's how most senior executives think. Honestly, I mean, people could say, well, that makes them a bad person. No, it doesn't. I'm responsible for the success of this organization. And this is not easy what we do. And we need everybody on board. Otherwise, we're going to be unprofitable. And pretty soon, everybody's going to not be on board because there won't be a ship to be on board. So you can get away with saying that. I need to learn how to say that while being a little bit softer than than I normally would be. But look, I want you to notice something. We didn't say that the nature of your professional relationship is subject to the whims and emotions and so on, okay? We didn't say that's a problem. Um, Of course, your relationship with others is subject to everything that each one of you is going through. One or the other of you have a bad day. That means the relationship is potentially having a bad day. We get that. And in fact, I have to take it aside here and tell a story. I was thinking a little bit about the idea of two people interacting and good days and bad days and how good days and bad days that people have based on their emotions, let's say, are relevant in the workplace, but perhaps misleading. And so I started doing a combination equation in math. I said, okay, look, 
we're going to take a scenario where out of any hundred days, Mark has two good days out of three, but one out of every three days, he brings his emotional troubles to work or whatever. He's down, he's frustrated, he's sad, whatever. Okay. One out of three. Bad odds, dude. That's like super bad. Yeah, exactly. It's, well, well, you'll see why in a minute. It gets worse. Uh, we'll assume that Sarah works for Mark, as she does, and Sarah comes to work and believing in the emotional state being important and not being a professional and not achieving what you're supposed to achieve. Sarah also has, let's say it's a standard human trait, even though there isn't such a thing, that one out of every three days is bad. Now, what that means is, think about it for a second. It's almost like we have two jars filled with green balls and red balls. And on any given day, some master person is going to reach into each of the two jars and pull out one colored ball. So there's a two out of three chance I'm going to have a good day and two out of three chance you're going to have a good day. There are four possibilities. We both have a good day. You have a bad day. I have a bad day. Or we both have a bad day. Folks, don't jump on me yet. Just hear me out on this one. That means oversimplifying. If you don't consider the probability associated with the two-thirds, one-third thing, out of the possible opportunities for days in terms of our relationship at work, three out of the four possibilities, not probabilities, but possibilities, are bad, right? If you're having a bad day and I'm not, our relationship will suffer. If I'm having a bad day and you're not, relationship with If we're both having a bad day, it's going to go bad. Well, the math isn't that simple. I'm pretty sure it's a binomial, but, but essentially the bottom line is this. The chance between two people, assuming one out of every three days, they have a rough day. The chance that those people out of a given hundred days, the math is that 55% of the days we work together are going to be bad, either because of me being or both of us being. Only 45% are we good. Dude, if you're having a bad day, by definition, our relationship hasn't been a bad day. I'm having a bad day too. Yeah. So if your bad day falls on my good day, yeah. I'm having a bad two day. bad days out of every three. Yeah. And of course, with power, the bad day... Um, becomes much more magnified. It becomes actually, you know, communicated in some ways, I think. So what's important to recognize here is the chances are good. If you if you believe in this idea that, well, your emotions and I feel like I don't want to do one-on-ones because I'm in a bad mood or whatever, you're going to be doing that a great deal of the time. And now multiply toward everybody you work with. And now we're talking about really significant chances that things are going to break down because we don't engage in the right behaviors to attempt to mitigate the problem that we're all, not all just purely rational creatures. But look, the point we were ma- I was making was, it is one thing to say the nature of your professional relationship is subject to the whims and emotions of others. That is true, but that's not what we're trying to say. That's different from saying the nature of your commitment to your professional relationship being subject to all those forces. So it's the commitment that you show in the one-on-one, even in rough times that matters. As a professional, we're obligated to make good faith efforts to develop trusting relationships with our colleagues and therefore our subordinates. Why? Because we know that relationships improve communication. The more better relationship we have, the better communication we have. The more communication we have, the more trust we have. 
And trust makes things more effective. I don't have to check on everything you do. I don't have to validate every communication you have. I don't have to ask for a secondary source. The more we trust each other, the more we can use verbal shorthand to get things done and anything we can do to save time in communication, assuming the communication is effective and that's what relationships do, allows us to spend more time on the work getting done rather than on the communication around the work. So canceling your one-on-one because of an incident or a disagreement is basically cutting off your nose to spite your face. O3s, one-on-ones, are not a privilege that you bestow on your underlings. They're a process we engage in to improve performance, which, by the way, is because we are going to improve the relationship and improve the trust. So one-on-ones are especially necessary, especially so when the road is rocky. Often we hear stories of managers and directs, and this is in a different vein, who suspend their one-on-ones when things get busy. That's backwards. Busy time are when we need more communication and then the trust that it engenders. We need to double down on the things that keep us effective during busy times. Look, think of it this way. One-on-ones are a system, a process that help us address the nature of human relationships in the workplace and trust. If I get a bad financial report, That's not the time to start ignoring financials and the reporting of financials. If a project is under strain, it's getting yellow or red or whatever, we don't avoid those project meetings and updates, right? Right. We spend more time on it. If our marketing is off, we don't seem to be getting conversions from leads to sales or whatever. We pay more, more attention to what we're doing there because it's a core part of what we do. If a relationship that matters in the workplace is struggling... We invest more in the relationship, all things being equal. We don't make it harder to repair the damage that's been done and it's going to happen. We don't make it harder to repair that damage. It makes no sense at all. So, no, we don't cancel one-on-ones. So, we don't cancel them as, as the manager. Now, what about the direct, though? What if they want to cancel? Yeah, seriously? <laughs> that's funny. I'm a high D, too. I'm a um, dominant. For those of you who just people... Sarah and I, and Mike as well, and Kate, and come to think of it, Wendy and others in our company. Paul. Um, Yeah, Paul. We take no prisoners. We like making things happen. We don't mind breaking some eggs along the way. At times, we tend to be rough around the edges. Folks, please don't write me an email and say, oh, now I know why I don't like you, Mark. I just had a bunch of people write me about something and things I think I think uh, two weeks ago. They thought I was being rude. No, I wasn't being rude. Just trying to be helpful. And I maybe should have learned your line about leaving your feelings under the bed. I don't think that would have done me any favors. But look, bottom line, if we're not going to cancel a one-on-one, there would be no justification for letting a direct do so either. Not to say that the direct can't say, I'm in the hospital this week. Okay, fine. (laughs) We respect that. Uh, But we're talking here about a situation where there was a dust-up, a blow-up, a disagreement, an argument, a failure, a difficult performance conversation, which left some raw nerves, and then suddenly the director's saying, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do the one-on-one this week. I mean, we respect the emotions that can happen when the boss and the subordinate, when the manager and her direct are at odds with one another. Look, there's, if we had a disagreement or a problem, there's embarrassment involved. There's shame involved. You have power. Power and conflict can be a an ugly cocktail in your direct minds at at, at times. We've just had an argument. 
you know, there's a failure, whatever. Maybe as a manager, we didn't really have time to tell them how disappointed you were, but they knew you were disappointed oh, yeah. and thought you might be angry even. Maybe, you know, and, and anger and power are toxic together in the minds of directs. I'm not saying that managers can't be angry. We know you get angry. You're human. But there's a difference between anger and the communication of anger towards someone over whom you have role power in an organizational construct. That's not good. So instead of expressing your power, you're going to let me internally suffer of your anger. Well, if you cancel the one-on-one, we had a dust up two days ago. You cancel the one-on-one. You think I'm angry at you. You can't know it. Unless I express that, right. but if I didn't express any of that, and then you cancel the one-on-one, I'm guessing, I think it's a reasonable assumption to make that you have some fear, some shame, some discomfort, and now that will continue to go on. I'll give you cool off time, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Let you chill. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I'm not going to allow you to give me cool off time because during that time, your performance is going to suffer. There's almost nowhere in it. There's 1% that will double down on performance and be even better. But that's rare enough that we don't manage to the 1%. So Sarah and I had a conflict and she doesn't want to have a one-on-one. So she says, I'm swamped. I can't meet boss. Now, look, it may be true that she's swamped, but it's really much more likely that she doesn't want to talk to me knowing that this recent issue is going to come up. So as a manager, you insist you know, we, we've talked before at managers, there are three types of power in, in an organization. There's role power, that which you're given in your role as a boss by the organization, your ability to speak for the bo- for the company. And it's fairly limited. I mean, most managers can't hire people on their own. They have to get approval from HR. You can't change your own budget. You can't promote yourself. The organization has to do that. There's also expertise power. You're the smartest person in the room and other people come to you for guidance and they follow your guidance. It's not enough to be smart. Other people have to use your guidance. And then there's relationship power. Now, manager tools is based in part on years of management science, which shows that relationship power is the 900-pound gorilla in influencing other people and organizations, even bosses. So we don't use role power all that often at manager tools. That doesn't mean role power is always to be avoided. It doesn't mean role power doesn't exist. And in certain situations, role power is the power to leverage. And this is one of those cases. When your direct says, I'm swamp boss, let's meet next week. All you have to do is text back, write back, email back, say back, leave them a voicemail back. No, we're meeting. Life goes on. But... There's also these other things, dude. It's not just that I'm busy. Like, there's all this other stuff going on. And really, I don't I don't feel like we can meet. I really don't think I can Okay, meet. thanks. I'll see you anyway. And then Sarah comes back to me and goes, you know, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward. Yep, it is, probably. We'll have to talk about, you know, I don't think we can avoid talking about what happened earlier this week. But you're still here. I'm still here. We still have work to do. It's still necessary. And we're going to meet. And I'll tell you, I try to picture the audience. And I could see people saying, you know, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't allow my boss to have a meeting with me after we've had a disagreement or whatever. I know that. I know there are people who really believe that that is an intelligent, reasonable thing to say. There is no senior executive in any highly successful company who wants bosses saying, oh, I'm going to give them a two-week cooling off period. You don't get to have a cooling off period at work. You're expected to be a professional. You're expected to cool yourself off 
within five minutes and get back to work. You don't get three days off for hazard pay because someone hurt your feelings. You don't get to put yourself in a lower level of productivity because right now you're a little bit angry at your boss. I hear these phrases all the time. You hear or the old saying that it's not how many times you're knocked down, it's how many times you get up. You're going to be knocked down, so you have to get up. Well, people don't understand that relates to day-to-day life at work. Somebody, you have a disagreement, so on, you got knocked down. Get back up. Re-engage. If a customer is unhappy with you, what would you do? Well, I'm, I'm going to go talk to the customer. Well, but what if you're angry at the customer? Well, I guess I don't have to. So then your anger at the customer causes you not communicate with them, and now suddenly we've lost the customer. And you say, well, you know, they come and they go, and I wasn't feeling it. I got to tell you, I wouldn't want to defend my performance if I did bad in a particular year at work with telling my boss during my performance review, oh, I, didn't, I didn't feel good. You know, I, I was sad. I was lonely. I was, I was afraid. Now, that's not to say that feeling sad or lonely or afraid are wrong. They're not. It's completely reasonable to feel that way. We, well, it sounds funny to say it's reasonable to feel that way. We understand that you feel that way. We respect that days are hard. And the professional's response is to step up and to do what you're supposed to do, whether you want to or not. You perform even if you're angry, even if you're sad, because you're responsible for doing what your team needs to do, irrespective of that. Now, look, if Sarah really did persist, and it's unlikely, but you could say something like, look, Sarah, when things haven't been great, when there are bumps or disagreements, and we're going to have them, you know, whatever, that's the most important time for us to have our one-on-ones. They're part of how we maintain our relationship. We don't avoid tools that work when things are not working, when things are strained or ineffective. We rely on those tools to help us get on track. We don't walk away from what makes us, in part, one of the things that makes us effective. We never do that. We engage with those tools in order to get our performance back where it needs to be. Cool. So I love what you're saying. We're going to have our one-on-one. All is forgiven. All is forgotten. We can go about as if it never happened. It's interesting you say all is forgiven, all is forgotten, right? Because our our next piece of guidance is you can forgive. You need to learn how to forgive. But no, of course, as a manager, you're not supposed to forget. I have to tell you, this is something I've learned later in my career, the power of forgiveness of other people. Unless you're going to fire somebody, and there are things that directs do that justify firing, and I... It's sad, but it happens. Um, It happens to managers and executives too. But if you're not going to fire somebody, if they're going to be around, then you're obligated to still maintain a relationship with them, okay? You can't say to your senior boss, your boss's boss, your executive or whatever, oh, I only bother to have relationships with the people who are good. I ignore the other people. They're not going to get better that way. They're not going to get better. And we're paying them. They're on your team. What What are you doing? So we have to learn as managers to forgive past conflicts, forgive past problems, while also we have a responsibility to evaluate performance of the people on our team. And for the record, when we say forgive, we mean the ability to not hold emotional grudges, to not hold in or hold on to a resentment against a direct who fails. So in this context of this guidance, when there's been a conflict or a dust-up or disagreement or whatever, 
we have to watch our own emotions. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. Part of professional maturity is emotional maturity. And emotional maturity, if you talk to any therapist at all, will tell you you're responsible for how you feel. No one else, only you. You're not responsible how anyone else feels. They're responsible on their own. And we are, as humans in the workplace, obligated to maintain control or influence over our own emotions. We cannot allow our emotions to completely dictate what we do. We have to meld emotions and logic. And to say, well, I'm not willing to do what is clearly the right thing to do from a performance perspective because I'm lonely today or because I'm angry at my boss is an unprofessional thing to do. And if we allow that, it's like the earlier probability binomial I mentioned earlier, you, uh, if you allow that, suddenly we start to dissolve into a quagmire of unperformance and pretty soon we're out of business. And dude, honestly, if you're having an emotional response to something I did, I'm sorry, but I'm going to lose a little bit of respect for you. Like really? Really? I know that information. Really? You're going to let me hurt your feelings? I'm the direct. Yeah. Okay. That's good. That's, that's good. So then what do you think? Is the way around true as well? That you're pouting, let's say, that I'm going to lose a little respect for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Now, the problem is we have to keep that in check because my respect for you matters next week, next month, next quarter in terms of I have to continue to have a relationship with you and I have to work on patching that up. I have to talk you through it or listen to you talk through it. And I have to know that my guidance, my encouragement, my uh, corrections, my admonishments, my communications about processes and procedures and timelines and status and everything else have the same level of effectiveness with you this week as they did last week before our latest dust up. And look, guys, we know it's easy. It's way easy to slip from thinking about poor performance and then kind of holding that against someone. It's easy to harbor frustrations. It's easy to be angry at times. It's easy to hold on to your resentment. But again, that's going to lead to less communication, more distance, more chances for future miscommunications, more drop balls, more lack of follow-up. One-on-ones exist to help with communication and relationships. If it's okay to get angry and to push somebody away, it really goes against the very foundation of what one-on-ones are for. And I've just learned this. It's more effective to cultivate the skill of forgiveness while at the same time recognizing we have to keep track of the performance of our team members. We can work to have a great relationship with a direct who has just messed up or maybe angrily challenged us. We can work on that as easily as we can work on having a great relationship with a great performing team player. It's not as easy to do, but it's easy enough to work on. And what it would start with is as quickly as possible, re-engagement, not the absence of engagement, not distance, not lack of communication, but more closeness, more communication, and so on. Despite the embarrassment, despite the shame, despite the anger, And for the record, folks, if one of your directs does something you don't like and you get angry, be clear. That's your fault. I should probably tell the umbrella story here. You totally should. I love that story. Yeah. It's one of my all-time. Got an elevator with another person. A third person who was not in our party got on after us. Fairly small elevator. He gets on, turns around. We're all facing the front. And my buddy 
Pat and I are in the back row of the elevator, and he's this other guy that got on after us is standing right in front of me, and he has an umbrella underneath his arm. It's raining outside. This actually happened at Pebble Beach nearly 20 years ago. And um, he starts looking in the pockets of his overcoat for his keys, but his umbrella, which is underneath his arms as he's moving around looking for his keys, starts poking me right in my chest. Just boom, 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 like that, right? And I, I, I kind of lo- look at my buddy, like, can you believe this? You know, I, I, and I was getting ready to tap the guy on the shoulder to say, I'm, I'm, excuse me, sir, but, you know, your, your umbrella is hitting me in the chest. That's me. That's not the back of the elevator or whatever. And at that moment, the doors open and he got off to get to his, to his room. And I turned to my buddy. I said, man, that guy made me mad. And my buddy said, no, he didn't. He poked you with an umbrella. You got mad all by yourself. I mean, that, that is one of my killer life lessons like dude it was as if the heavens opened up and said one of the greatest lessons in the history of mankind has now been revealed to you try to spend the rest of your life living the right way because you know this special special knowledge you have to be willing to forgive you have to recognize that your anger is your own and you can talk yourself off the ledge and one of the ways that you can start to do that is have a conversation with your direct about all kinds of other things, the kind of things you would talk about in a one-on-one. Now, look, we want you to still measure performance. And if somebody has done poorly, or if you think they've acted against the values of the firm by raising their voice in front of you or to you or something else, then yeah, something we need to talk about. Okay. Um, we need to keep track of those things. There are two reasons to fire somebody. They don't do their job, and maybe that was the case here, or they tear down the team, which may also have been the case here. We have to separate our analysis of a direct's performance from our emotional state of anger or frustration or resentment or whatever of the event. And working to strengthen the relationship by meeting in the one-on-one while doing what you need to do in terms of measuring and, you know, and keeping track of patterns of performance and so on is the ideal way to approach it. It is the mature, the professionally mature thing to do. Cool. So we're going to have this meeting, whether or not I want to, we're going to have this meeting. Awesome. You are going to forgive me. Uh Not forget, but you're going to keep that sucker in the back of your mind. Now we're going to come into the meeting. We're not going to talk about it. It's gone. It's gone to me. (laughs) Why should we talk about it? It's over. Edible paper. It's gone. So I'm hopeful that you'll address the concern during your portion of the one-on-one. Look, let's get it out there. Let's not have it fester. We both know it's there. It's the 900-pound gorilla in the room. If you addressed it during your portion, that would be, to me, a sign that you recognize that your connection to me still matters, even when your performance isn't up to snuff, okay? But in my experience, don't expect your directs to come in and talk about the issue or the problem or the 900-pound gorilla. It's likely they're going to avoid talking about the cause of the conflict or the conflagration or whatever. That's fine. And look, maybe you have that special relationship. Some of you are probably far better at relationships than I am, and your directs naturally do that. Well, good on you. I'm impressed. That's good. But if they don't, you're obligated to do so. You can bring it up during your portion of the one-on-one. That's all. And I'm not necessarily going to hold it against them that they don't bring it up. I'm not going to say at my first comment, seriously, you spent 20 minutes talking to me and you're not going to talk about what happened two days ago because now they think I'm angry all over again, which is not good. So I'm hopeful 
that that will happen, but hope is not a method. And my method is I have it on my agenda. Maybe it's the first thing we cover because it's important and we may take 10 minutes to do it. Or maybe it's the last thing we cover because I just want to say, hey, that wasn't great what happened two days ago. I hope we can move past that. Disappointing. We can talk in more detail about the de- about what happened and so on. Maybe some other time. You know, and those things to me, if you don't get them out there, throw them on the table. Uh, they fester inside, right? Then the next time, something it can be a tiny thing happens, yeah. And it's like, oh, remember that last time? So I send a snippy email to you because I'm kind of still mad about last time. Oh yeah. I think the Dixie Chicks had a song like that. Not willing to make up or not ready to make up or something. Yeah, Yeah, the whole (laughs) snippy email, that's funny. Maybe the old event isn't fresh, but emotionally, we're kind of a sea, a soup, a swamp. And and the second conflict happens and boom, suddenly we're, um, well, I remember that thing and that thing is now stirring the pot again. And so, yeah, you're right, snippy email. Everything you do, dude, I am rolling a snowball down a hill. Yeah, there you go. So when we mention it, do so as dispassionately, as professionally as you can. If it's necessary to give feedback, give feedback. But remember, all feedback is about a positive future influencing uh, the direct to engage, to be effective in a positive way, because we're picturing them doing it right in the future. So all feedback is delivered with a positive tone. We don't give feedback with a negative tone. You know, Mike likes to say, if he can't chuckle when he gives feedback, he doesn't give the feedback because he's afraid he'll be rough or tough or a little bit angry. And anger anger and power don't mix. They're toxic together. So what you have to learn to do is be able to let bygones be bygones, to forgive per our earlier comments, while at the same time saying, hey, look, I've forgiven him. But I have to keep track that this person has done this thing, and therefore, I need to be aware of how it affects their performance. So I'll give them the feedback and tell them, I need you to behave. Would you, would you please behave differently next time? Will you moderate your tone, or will you not say that to the customer? Whatever happened. And at the same time, do it in a positive way. Picture them getting it right. And if they say, well, I don't know, it might happen again. Say, no, it's not going to happen again. I'm not worried about it. I trust you. I wouldn't have you out there in the field. I wouldn't have you talking to customers. I wouldn't have you talking to key colleagues of mine unless I trusted you. And it's a high bar right now, today, but I think you can meet it. Now, look, if feedback isn't the right tool, this this podcast, this guidance isn't about feedback, fine, don't give feedback, but don't avoid the topic. Talk about what happened. Express your disappointment. But you can express disappointment. You can say, I was hurt, or what you said hurt other people's feelings, so on. You can do that in a dispassionate way. You don't have to say, it made me so angry, I'm still angry now. Talk about how to do better next time. The key is, do not avoid talking about what has happened. Have the one-on-one. If your direct doesn't bring it up, that's okay. Forgive them for that. Maybe you could, after a couple of one-on-ones, say, you know, in the future, you're going to want to have these, when you're a manager like me, you're going to want to have these conversations with your directs. You're not going to want to let these things fester. So you might as well learn to bring it up during your portion, because if your directs don't bring it up to you, you're going to have to bring it up during your portion as a manager. Cool. So we're not going to cancel it. Manager, you're not going to cancel it. I direct. I'm not canceling it. Right. You're going to forgive me. You're not going to forget. Right. But you're going to forgive me. And if I don't address it in my time, 
you're going to address it in yours. Yeah. Unless you're going to fire somebody, you're going to keep working with them by definition. So that means you're always working on, in this case, you'll be repairing, basically, your trusting relationship with this colleague who reports to you. If their behavior warrants some feedback, fine. If you need to apologize for whatever role you had, do so. But don't allow that event that's now in the past to become an ongoing problem by canceling or allowing to be canceled a key part, one-on-ones, a key part of how you work on your relationship with your directs. And that's it. Awesome. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, dude. That's it, everyone. Hope that was helpful to you. See you next week on Manager Tools. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want the how-tos of management wherever you are, check out the free Manager Tools mobile app. It's available on both iOS and Android devices. Go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and download the Manager Tools app. Just search for Manager Tools in the respective store or go to the Manager Tools website, www.manager-tools.com, and you'll find the links on the bottom of the homepage. Once you've installed the Manager Tools app, you'll have access to all the Manager Tools and Career Tools shows anytime, anywhere you want. With easy searching of podcasts by category, using the map of the universe, or using built-in search functions, it couldn't be easier. Additionally, if you're a Manager Tools personal licensee, you'll have easy access to all the show notes right from the app whenever you want. Go to the App Store and download the Manage Tools mobile app. You'll be happy you did.